So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. And this the 4th of December. It's the second Sunday of Advent. My name is John Keeley. And help me present the programme again today, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we doing? Good. Thanks, Shane, for joining me. And I know you'll join me in welcoming those listeners who are housebound, those from, those from various parts of the world, who are lonely, struggling in some way today, and our listeners, of course, who support us each week in prayer. We hope you enjoy this podcast, and if you do, please pass on the information to your friends and colleagues who might also like to listen in to some of the faith topics we discuss, inspirational music we have, and also reflections on the Sunday Gospel. Just in mind again, our podcast can be heard at Come and See Inspirations.buzzspread.com. Usually, people just Google Come and See Inspirations, you'll find us there. Historically, some of our old material is up in our Sacred Space 102.blogspot. That's on our blog. Again, sacredspace102.blogspot, you'll get us there. Also on Spotify and iTunes, and also, also on our Facebook page, Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us, if you wish, by texting us on 87 International, 0035387-6088-667. Or email, comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. At this part of the programme, as usual, our podcast will invite Shane to share with us some science for the week. Thanks, Shane. So, we are progressing our way through the Advent season. We're into the second week of Advent. This Sunday is the second Sunday of Advent. So obviously the season kind of takes priority. It's a small bit like Lent. So the season takes priority, but we still have our saints throughout uh, throughout the weeks. Uh, and in particular, um, from next week, from the, from the 16th, uh, it's, it becomes proper that we don't really remember the saints, although we will mention them on the podcast. But anyway, back to this week. And as John said, today is the second Sunday of Advent. It's the 4th of December. And for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week two. For those of you just kind of wondering and trying to catch up, obviously we're into the new liturgical year, so we are now following the readings in cycle A, which means we will be accompanying the Gospel of Matthew throughout the coming year. Monday the 5th of December, so we went slightly further afield than usual for this one. So I've gone as to the Middle East, and in particular to for St. Sabas of Mar Saba. So he is a saint of the 500s. Yes, he was born in 439, he died in 432, 532 even. Uh, a spiritual student of St. Ethimaeus the Great at the age of 20. He was an anchorite from the age of 30, living in a cave, devoting himself to prayer and manual labour. He wove 10 willow baskets each day and then on Saturday he would take them to the local monastery where he would exchange them for food and willow to make it for the following week. So... Um, an able man, but with little education, he took over the monastery. They didn't particularly like it. They created a whole lot of stories and he went off back to his cave. And eventually the bishop had to intervene and they were all reconciled. So very much um, uh, kind of a man who's a saint who is remembered in the Eastern Church for his simplicity and his humility. And he is feast day, as I said, is on the 5th of December. The 6th of December in the Irish calendar, well, in the general calendar, I should say, is the feast day of St. Nicholas. 4th century Bishop of Myra in modern-day Turkey, and of whom little is known. He is the patron of Russia, of sailors, of pawnbrokers, and of children. But, of course, he is more commonly known as Saint Nicholas, mm. so otherwise known as Santa Claus. So the real Santa Claus. So in some countries in Europe on the 6th of December, on the 6th of December that's actually the day where the kids get their gifts, not the 25th. Mm-hmm. And particularly, I think, in, in Holland and, and that neck of the woods. 
Um, obviously, the stories associated with St. Nicholas very much is the um, paying the dowry of the girls to avoid them going into yeah. into, into prostitution. It's a lovely story. Interesting thing about St. Nicholas, actually, he's, um, his relics are in southern Italy, so they fall within the purview of the Catholic Church. But he is massively popular in Russia. He's a huge, very popular saint in Russia. And a couple of years ago, they actually lent some of his relics to Russia for a couple of months. And mm. the throngs that came out to see it was uh, second to nothing. Absolutely massive, massive numbers. So then, uh, and as I said, he's a very popular saint, actually, in the Orthodox Church. Uh, he's, you know, um, just, just one of those saints that people have a lot of devotion to. So then on the 7th, we have the feast day of St. Ambrose of Milan, died 397. Um he he was the governor of Milan and he intervened when the election of the bishop became a bit raucous and the crowd turned around and basically by acclamation elected him bishop. Now, he wasn't even baptized at this stage. He was a catechumen. He refused, but anyway, he was eventually told to cop himself on. And eventually he was or he was baptized, ordained and consecrated bishop pretty much all on the same day. Uh, <laughs> John wow, is yeah, yeah. in 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 uh, in 374. He is one. He is regarded as one of the great teachers of the early church, um, and he is a doctor of the church, defending our orthodoxy in brilliant preaching and through his writing. And yeah, I'm fairly sure it was Ambrose that converted Augustine. That's what I was thinking. Yes, yeah. it was Ambrose that converted Augustine. Um, he is the patron saint of Milan, obviously, beekeepers and other domestic animals. So St. Ambrose gets kind of a half day feast in some respects, because, of course, he doesn't get his full day with his evening prayer, because the evening prayer of the 7th of December, of course, is first Vespers for the feast of the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, which, of course, we celebrate on the 8th of December. Mm-hmm. A reminder to people, it is still a day of obligation, a holy day of obligation in Ireland. Uh, that hasn't been changed. And, uh, of course, traditionally in Irish, in Ireland, it was also the start of the Christmas shopping, but which, of course, which started has gone on since about August at the moment. Which took precedence, yeah. Yeah, mm. indeed. But anyway, it used to be the day the Colchies invaded Dublin to start their Christmas mm. shopping. But anyway, so the 8th of December, um, so the, it's, it's, uh, it's a dogma, decli- uh, so dogma de- defined by Pius IX in 1854 during the First Vatican Council. Uh, which was also the council that defined papal infallibility. The, it's basically the belief that Mary uh, was, who from the first moment of her existence in the womb of her mother Anne, was by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, preserved free from all stain of original sin. Now, the bit that sometimes gets confused is people kind of go, well, how was there the Immaculate Conception on the 8th and he was born on the 25th? Yeah, nothing to do with it. The Immaculate Conception is Mary's conception, not Jesus's. So that's something that does happen Mm. from time to time. So a little bit of confusion that can arise there. Um, It's one of those ones which causes a bit of controversy, I suppose. Um, uh, Established by tradition, by the writings of the fathers, by feasts observed in honour of the prerogative, and also to a certain extent... Um, it was uh, kind of agreed to by kind of the bishops to a certain extent. Um, however, in particular, it's put up there as one of those dogmas which causes division between ourselves and the Orthodox and between ourselves and the Protestant churches. Um, 
But anyway, that's that is what it is. If you're a Catholic, it goes with the territory. Sorry, boys, you don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The ninth of uh, the ninth of December is the feast day of San Juan Diego, and he is the seer of the Our Lady of Guadalupe in December in 1531, and he died in 1548. So it's a big feast day in Mexico in particular, but also wherever you have a large Mexican diaspora, which of course leads us then to the tenth of September which since 2019 has been the feast day of uh, Our Lady of Loreto. Now, probably not so familiar to Irish people. Loreto is kind of the Italian knock, I think is the Mm. easiest way to describe it. It's the main Marian shrine in Italy. And by tradition, it's the shrine where there's a small house, which is supposed to be Mary's house from um, Nazareth. Yeah. And on tr- according to tradition, the, ni- the small house was carried by angels from Nazareth to Loreto on the, ninth, the night of the 9th to the 10th of December in 1294. Very specific. Um, after three years sitting in Tertusato in present-day Croatia. So, I, you know, jumped from continent to continent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very popular Marian shrine, particularly in Italy. And it's the idea, I suppose, is that the the celebration is to help people, especially families, youth and religious, to imitate the virtues of that perfect disciple of the gospel, the Virgin Mary. That's yeah. the that's what the mm-hmm. decree said in 2019 when it was proclamated. Um, now, the other thing which most people will probably be more familiar with is the Loreto, uh, litany of Loreto, sorry. And basically, if you're used to praying the trimmings on the rosary, you're praying the litany of Loreto. Ah. That's where that comes from. So that's what we have, John, in terms of our liturgical odds and ends for this week and as we progress into the Advent season. There's a lot on this week, actually, in terms of saints for the week. Yeah, there there is like the like thir- Monday, like uh, what's it? Friday is Juan, you sent me Saint Juan, Juan. Even yeah. if I could take of his name again, who of course is the seer of Guadalupe. But Monday is the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, so it's a big feast day, particularly in the U.S. and in Mexico, obviously. Um, you know, so it just it just depends. Like next week, it's um, it's it's a bit different, of course, because we're moving into mm. closer to the Easter season or the Christmas season, even, and um, and just it will be slightly different in terms of the prioritization because we move into what's the proper of the season, as it's called. Well, one of the nice things about this particular season, we mentioned it last week, it's worth maybe mentioning it again. The readings at mass. Uh, contain or include um, a lot of readings from Isaiah this week, you know. And myself and my wife were just just remarking there recently. Father Frank reminded us there at lecture during the week. You know, if you think that Isaiah, I think he was about eight hundred years before. Yeah, I suppose the idea is that it's the the readings during the week. It's the prophecies of Isaiah, which were made yeah. under eight hundred years before the coming of Christ, and that whole sense of relationship and waiting that the chosen people had for their Messiah. Yeah. Mm. Now, obviously, as Christians, we believe the Messiah has come. The Jews still believe the Messiah is still to come, um, but you know that's not necessarily something that you know would be theologically difficult. You know, Christ is supposed to come a second time. Bottom line is, it's well worth listening if you get a chance. If you, if you don't get a chance to get to Mass, you might be able to pick up the reading somewhere online. Now, just as Shane mentioned there, uh, just one little notice again to remind listeners again, uh, talking about our shrine, our shrine at Nokia, and specifically about the Immaculate Conception. So there is an all-night vigil which takes place this week. It's a long-standing tradition in Nock, falling on the date of the Feast of the Immaculate Seven. With, you know, we're invited to join Nock again for the night of prayer. 
So the vigil begins with confessions at 10 p.m. until midnight and uh, on the night of the Wednesday the 7th. The vigil will continue in the Basilica from midnight with rosary, holy hour, reflections, private prayer, including or concluding with Mass sorry, at 4 a.m. The full programme will be available in due course, but the vigil will be live streams from the Knox Ryan website. For, again, for those who can't make it and those historically used to go to it, uh, maybe they find it a little bit hard these days to, to travel. If you can get a chance at all, you can watch it all online. So with that, we might go for our first bit of music. And Shane, you picked a nice piece of music this morning. Actually, you picked a load of pieces of music this morning. <laughs> but, but the one, but the first one. <laughs> right, the first one is called O Come Divine Master. Uh, it is a very traditional uh, Advent piece. It's taken from the Latin originally, but this is an English version. And it would be uh, traditionally, it's one of those hymns that's sung actually for morning prayer during the Advent season. Come back at Johnny's Gate in part two, where Shane is going to share a lovely reflection for us on the O Antiphons. But in the meantime, let's listen to O Come Divine Master.
So welcome back to part two of the podcast. And that was uh, O Come O Come Emmanuel being sung for us by La Corse Shure, which is an ensemble from vocal from Freiburg. And John tells me that's in East Germany. So it's a nice introduction for us uh, to this week's program because or this week's podcast, because what we're doing is we're doing part two of a reflection on Advent. So last week was part one. So this week is part two. And what we're doing this week is we're going to do a small bit of a reflection, taking the O antiphons as our guide, as a kind of a way of getting into the the season in a bit more depth, if you like. Now, I suppose people say to me, well, what the hell are the O antiphons? I've, John has just commented, I've been talking about the O antiphons for about 10 years. So I suppose the first thing I suppose is to explain what there are. So there are seven O antiphons and each one addresses God the God who comes in Christ with a different biblical title. And they begin with the invocation O. And they, you know, they're drenched. They are, there's a lot of biblical allusions and references and cross-references in them. And they offer a rich source of personal prayer and reflection um, during the final days of preparation for Christmas. And they are used, well, antiphon is, you know, like a response. That's that's what an antiphon okay. is. That's what an antiphon is. So basically, as part of the church's evening prayer or vespers, um, you the, the Magnificat is recited each evening. So okay, it's, it's, yeah. part mm-hmm. of, it's part mm-hmm. of the format, if you like, for evening prayers. And before, at the start and at the end of the antiphon, at the start and the end of the Magnificat, you have the antiphon. Okay. So from the sec- 16th of December to the 24th of December, we use these O's, the great O's. Mm-hmm. And they are they they are O wisdom, or O sapientia, O Adonai, or O Lord, O stock of David, or Redex Jesse, or stocks of Jesse. I, I beg your pardon, O stock of Jesse, O key of David, O clavis David, O rising sun, or O Orion, O Rex, or O King, and then O Emmanuel. So that's from the seventeenth to the twenty third of December. And if you spell those out in Latin, they spell ero, uh, they, 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 and read in reverse order, they spell erocras, which translates as, uh, translates as I will be with you tomorrow. Okay. Which, if you think about it, the last of the O antiphons is used on 24. the 23rd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the 20, evening of the 24th, I will be with you tomorrow. So that's just, just a little one of those little things that they have come up with from a liturgical point of view. Um, I suppose the other thing to say about the O antiphons is it's just kind of, you know, the liturgical calendar moves into this final octave before Christmas from the 17th. And it's it's um, generally during Vespers that these are used. But in but also if you're if you're not a, if you don't have you don't go to Vespers, or you can't attend Vespers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not very common in Ireland. No, it's like, not, no. generally, generally the celebration of the of the, the divine office that the is associated. Well, Priests are bound to say it. Priest has to say it each day. But in a community session, a section, in a community environment, you're more likely to come across it in the monasteries, for example, like Glenstall here in Limerick, uh, which, by the way, people can watch online on their webcam every day, just to mention that in passing. Um, but also, uh, but which is shame because the, the liturgy of the hours, the divine office, is something which is the official prayer of the church in which the, in which the Second Vatican Council encouraged the laity to use and take it as their own as much as, you know, the requirement for the clergy to say it. And it consists of, you know, the, the, it consists of a number of hours or reading points or stopping points throughout the day where you have a series of psalms and readings to be read and reflected on in a four-week cycle. So that's what the liturgy of the hours is. 
and Vespers or evening prayer. But for those that aren't or don't or don't attend evening prayer or can't can't attend evening prayer or whichever, but you do go to daily mass during Lent mm. or during Advent. Sorry, uh, the Alleluia verses yeah. are also taken from the O Antiphons. So that's how it's linked. That's how it's linked through uh, into um, the daily liturgy, if you like, for ordinary people as well. For those for that week, exactly, exactly. Now, people say to me, "Okay, Shane, what are you on about? Where have I heard this?" The first piece of music that we had in the program today is called "O Come Come Emmanuel," and it is basically a version. Mm-hmm. of the O antiphons in each of the verses. Yes, okay. So okay. that's where we're coming from. So now to take us to take through I'm going to take us through three of the seven. I'm not going to do all of them okay. uh, because we, we wouldn't have a the time. Of, okay. a sam- we're going to do a sample. So the first one we have is O Sapientia. O Sapientia is O Wisdom is how you translate the Latin. So John, uh, if we can we're going to listen to the first Gregorian piece and then uh, and then we will come back just to have a quick thought or two about us. Sanctum, 
So that was the uh, recording of the uh, O Wisdom, O Sapientia, um, O Antivum. And it was sung there by uh, some of the Dominican community in Paris, I think is where they are. I must check that again. But what it translates into is, O Wisdom, you come forth from the Mount of the Most High, and reaching from beginning to end, you ordered all things mightily and sweetly. Come and teach us the way of prudence. Or another way is, O wisdom, O holy word of God, you govern all creation with your strong yet tender care. Come and show your people the way to salvation. So it's a, it's very much linked in, I suppose, to uh, prophecy. Like Isaiah had prophesied, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and of strength a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. So holy wisdom is what we're talking about here. Hagia Sophia or Sapientia in Latin is here personified. It's present with God at the beginning of creation. We hear it throughout the book of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, in iconography and in religious art, wisdom is generally depicted as a woman, actually. And is often seen as being a manifestation of the Holy Spirit as well. Um, But also seen as a prefigurement of Jesus as the eternal Logos, the word of God, Mm. as John describes in that famous prologue to the Gospel of St. John. And I suppose it's a a reminder to us, you know, that we're asking for this holy wisdom to come and again, to, so that we would listen to it and listen once more. And what we're going to pick up on, and we're going to pick up on this theme again in part three of the podcast this week, when we're reflecting on the theme of the desert and making space to listen and carve out time to, uh, to, to listen and listen to the wisdom of God and reminding ourselves necessarily that, you know, Wisdom doesn't of itself mean, you know, uh, knowledge, I suppose. It's a reminder to us that we sometimes we drown in information. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. but information doesn't mean wisdom is what I mean, is what I meant to say. Mm -mm. You know, T.S. Eliot wrote, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? And in the modern world where we're drowning in information, Mm -hmm. you know, we have kind of lost the understanding of wisdom itself the great and understanding in particular in the advent season the great mystery of the incarnation you know and that whole idea of understanding what it is that happened you know it's it's if if you think about it you know in some respects when we're reflecting on advent um it's it's a reminder to us that you know god christ is not only god made man he was also god made child 
you know, and that in the babe of Bethlehem, a model of innocent simplicity is put before us that ideally can lead us to our heavenly home. And Advent is not about walking or running or leaping or climbing. You know, that's not how we begin Advent. Um, we must begin by acknowledging, I suppose, our paralysis, our lack of knowing mm-hmm. where it is that we're going, that we can do nothing without Christ. You know, um, and that acknowledgement of our paralysis is not just a good place to begin, you know, in some respects. It's the only place to begin, acknowledging our dependence to listen for the holy wisdom, O sapientia, that we are asking to come down and to show us how to live in our daily lives. So now, John, we have the next one we're going to take is O Clavis David, which is the O Key of David. O Clavis David, So that's O Clavis David, O Key of David. It is the third of the uh, O Antiphons. Sorry, it's the fourth of the O Antiphons, uh, which is read and used on December the 20th. And it's O Key of David and Scepter of the House of Israel. You open and no man closes. You close and no man opens. Come and deliver from the chains of prison those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I love that line, come and deliver from the chains of prison those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And it reminds us very much, of course, that Jesus is the key that opens the gates of heaven to us in that great kind of imagery that we have of the gates of heaven. And I suppose it asks us that question, are there doors in our life that we want to keep locked ourselves? You know, doors in our heart, physical doors against barred against people. And I suppose it's very... It's very relevant as well, I suppose, um, to consider that, you know, at this time, people very much have doors locked because some people have never come back out after COVID. COVID, You know, um, I've, I've heard of a lot of people saying about elderly parents or aunts and uncles who have lost confidence being able to go out in public again and worry about things that are going to happen. Um, you know, about people whose doors are barred because they are afraid of things, the cost of things at the moment and being able to move around and, and do things as they went. So, you know, and as well as that, then there's also the doors of our hearts in terms of trusting and being able to trust in God and the idea that we ask for that freedom of uh, freedom from sin. You know, and it comes very much from Isaiah again. We, you know, I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens it, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. It deals into this whole idea of the concept of stewardship. That's what the key. Mm. That's what the keys symbolize. The idea that the person was the steward, and you know, they are also of power and authority. So we have here the idea of Christ, the Anointed One, is the heir of David and possessor of the kingdom. 
And, you know, Jesus, and all power and authority was given to him, particularly after the resurrection, which we which that comes to us very much from yeah. Revelation, mm. you know, and the understanding, of course, that we have in, in the Catholic tradition that this power was entrusted to bind and to loosen to Peter and to all who minister in the church. And I suppose it's also, I suppose, a reminder to us that we are called, I suppose, to be free from sin, whatever darkness of our lives. And as we travel through Advent, I suppose, we're given that opportunity to pray for that deliverance. You know, that's the wonderful thing about the O Antiphon. When you read in it, you reflect in it, you pray on it, you know, it gives you that opportunity again to ask the question, O key of David, O royal power of Israel, Controlling at your will the gate of heaven, come break down the prison walls of death for those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and lead your captive people into freedom is another translation that's there. And again, it's that whole idea, I suppose, of, you know, breaking down the prison walls that surround us. And those prison walls can be can be physical. They can be psychological. They can be the walls of addiction, mm. you know. So, mm. in you know, if so as we move through this Advent season and, and you're praying and reflecting on something like the like the O antiphons like this, you know, it would be kind of saying, well, where in my life do I need keys to unlock? Yeah. But also then praying for others in terms of maybe those in our families that we might need to be concerned about. And particularly for those that just may be locked into a prison of the mind or prison of the heart uh, yeah. and that need to be to be to have the doors opened so that they can come out. The other way I, I often think of this, O Antiphon as well, De, uh, John, in particular, O Key of David and on the idea of unbinding and unloosening is very much tied up with the resurrection. And that image that we have used on the podcast oftentimes of the roll of the stone rolled back from the mm-hmm. tomb mm-hmm. and the, the binding cloths, the unwound binding cloths that were put on Jesus's body when he was laid in the tomb. And that whole idea, that whole reminder, that emphasis on freedom, which resurrection brings and that reminder to us that that's something that we have to look forward to and something that is a promise that is given to us. I suppose the important thing, Shane, as I was just listening to you there, uh, is maybe to do a little bit of lectio on these, oh, Anthony, not to be rushing through them. No, you could you could spend a day with just each one yes. on its own. Now, the other thing is there are also um, on, we I've often come across, I've used it for a number of years, it's catholicresources.org, and there's a hyphen in between Catholic and resources. And they have a table, actually, which sets out, um, the 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 texts mm. and the biblical texts that are associated with each of the antiphons, and you know if you had the time, when we, we'll put the link into the yeah, into the podcast yeah. for people. But if you had the time to to just to pick one for each day to do a reflection, like so, for example, O Sapientia, the wisdom, the first one we did, mm. it gives a reading from Isaiah, it gives a reading from Proverbs, it gives a reading from John. Mm. Today's one or this one here is O Key of David, O Clavis David, David. It does a reflection from Revelation, Jeremiah and Matthew again. So again, linking through that you can take it and use it for further further reflection and meditation. But also, I suppose what we're doing this morning as we're going through these antiphons is to give people, you know, an idea for something that could be used simply as a as a resource yeah. to create a moment of prayer and create a moment of space. Like if you Google O antiphons uh, and even, you know, you'll find it mm-hmm. in many prayer books as well. They you get the text and it just it's it's two, three lines maximum. Yeah. yeah. And just take that text with you for the day uh, to pray and to reflect on it. 
and to see where see see where it will lead you and maybe to help you as part of your preparation during Advent. Like one of the things we realize and we, we you know, we recognize on the podcast is that, you know, when you've got busy kids and you're trying to do yeah. the school run mm-hmm. and prepare mm-hmm. the dinners mm-hmm. and start out the washing and pay the bills mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Bite sized little moments yes. um, are there for us, are, are there to allow us to have some sort of preparation so that you just don't rush helter skelter and suddenly, mm. oh my God, it's Christmas Eve. Where did Advent go? Mm. So that's why we're suggesting and putting forward these lovely seventh century, they're, they're, they're around since the seventh century uh, prayers that have been used. And they're very much, I suppose, uh, looking to link the Old and the New Testament. And Advent is very much a time of the Old Testament because we recover and renew once more that sense of waiting and that sense of renewal that's there. And, you know, in terms of, you know, you can find the texts online very easily. They're they're very common. Just Google O Antiphons, Mm -mm. it will come up. Pray As You Go, the Jesuit website that's there. They have an Advent retreat with the O Antiphons. Um, Vatican Radio in 2012 did a reflection for each of the antiphons and Wellspring um, and this is another yeah, one we'll put yeah. in we will put into the to the blog cast, the podcast as well they uh, do daily reflections as does Sacred Space uh, and so on I suppose to, oh, just one last thing on it I mean people people like myself who might not have been so used to actually using these at all might think well because it's oh and friends and it's a thousand years old says you that's all scripture stuff and listen that's got nothing to do with me today wrong way to go about it definitely because anything that can provide us with space and time to pray i think is always a good thing and the one thing about these ones is they're short bite-sized little pieces that you can reflect on and kind of just give yourself that moment to kind of think about it and to pray it and to ask ourselves what is the title of the antiphon? What is it that it says about the mystery of Christ? What is it that says about this great longing that we have for Christ to come? Because ultimately that's what it was. And it's that great um, prayer of, of searching, of wanting that, that we remember with the, with, the o, with the O antiphons. So, John, the next one we're going to do is O Orion, or otherwise known as O Rising Sun. And it's the fifth antiphon. It's usually used for December the 21st. And I picked this particularly because I like, there's an Irish connection with this one that I particularly like. So that is, O morning star, splendor of eternal light and sun of justice, come and illumine those seated in darkness and the shadow of death. It's the fifth uh, O antiphon that we're reflecting on this morning, O Rising Sun, and it's generally prayed on the 21st of December. It, the title, O Orion, a morning star, very much links into the great titles that are given to uh, Jesus, the morning star, the day spring, the rising star, radiant dawn. And it's um, it's interesting. Uh, it was that the Orion's bit was the name of the ancient Roman sun god. Uh, But obviously, from the Christian point of view, when Christians turned towards the east, 
Christ is the day spring, the rising sun, the eastward orientation of the orientations of churches and altars is a way of expressing, you know, that great cry at mass, lift up your hearts and we lift them up to the Lord. You know, that great response. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, it's it's also, you know, sometimes you hear people speak very derogatory of the old practice in mass where the priest and people faced the altar. And it yeah. was always described mm-hmm. as, oh, the priest is back to the people, mm-hmm. which isn't correct. Yes, physically, the man has his back to the people. Mm -hmm. But what it was, was the idea that everyone faced liturgical east. They faced towards the rising sun. They faced from where Christ was said to come from. They, you know, and it wasn't a case of the priest with his back to the people, Mm -hmm. but more Mm -hmm. as the presider was leading the people towards God. You know, so, you know, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of, you can have theological views in it back and forth. Many people have different views in it. I'm not getting into that this morning, but I'm just saying that was one of its great manifestations in the liturgy that was there for so long. But in terms of, in terms of the O Antiphon itself, uh, I one of the things I've liked about it is, of course, the fact it falls on December 21st, which, is, of course, is the shortest day of the year. Mm-hmm. And a number of years ago, uh, Martin Brown, who is a monk of Glenstall, wrote a reflection, and uh, it was 2014, actually, and on the blog back through the years, we, we reposted that reflection. And it, Martin very much reflected on the connection of the solstice with the, with the antiphon and obviously the preparation for Christmas. Oh, okay. And, you know, very much, I suppose, you know, and in particularly for our listeners, our, our international listeners in Ireland, this the winter solstice has a particular place in the public imagination here because of our famous passage tombs or passage graves oh, yeah, yeah. in County Meath. So you've particular, you've note and doubt, and of course, most famously of all, you have Newgrange. And Newgrange is this passage tomb. It's an early uh, megalithic tomb. And on the 21st of December, you, with the sunrise, the sun streams into the inner chamber of the tomb. And it's the only time of the year it does it. And, of course, it's this whole understanding that we're trying to understand what it meant for um, people 5,000 years ago in the Neolithic age, which is older than, you know, it's older than the pyramids. It's older than Stonehenge. Um, you know, and it's that idea at the time of we're not sure was it them marking the seasons or was it trying to capture the light in terms of the in terms of the darkness of the winter. Okay. Because of course on the twenty from the twenty first on the twenty first of December on the day starts to get longer. Mm. And in Irish con in Irish parlance we'd say, Oh, there's a cock step, there's a the stretch. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a stretch yeah. in the evening. Mm-hmm. You'd notice the stretch yeah. almost yeah, from the twenty second on. Yeah, but of course from a Christian point of view, we link in very much of course to um that idea that uh, you know, O rising sun, you are the splendor of eternal life and the sun of justice. Come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. It's a powerful, beautiful prayer. Mm. Obviously, we're not worshipping the physical light. We, we're taking very much that great tradition of Jesus as the light of the world. And in the bleakness of midwinter, you know, we address him as the rising sun and call out to him to save us. You know, it's a very primal thing. Um, you know, it's kind of you, you light you light you light a candle to, to drive away the darkness. Yes. You know, so it's that we, we wait almost like to rage against the dying of the light, which Dylan Thomas once said. You know, and you know, and we remind ourselves, you know, when we think about it, uh, for the the gospel of 
Christmas Day, the, the, the last mass of Christmas Day, if mm-hmm. you like, is taken from the prologue from St. John. Mm-hmm. So we don't hear the account of the manger or Bethlehem. We hear instead what, you know, that great, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, the word was with God. And it says, what came through him was life and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Mm-hmm. So it's very much that idea of linking to the light and Christ as the light. You know, we look at it very carefully as well. If you look at the calendar, I always remember Martin making this point in his reflection. If you look in the calendar, the summer solstice is the 21st of June mm-hmm. and the birthday of John the Baptist is the 24th of June. Yeah. And if you look at it, Christ's mm. birth, we celebrate is on the 25th of December, 24, 25th of December. Yeah. And of course, it's that great reminder that Christ, John the Baptist did himself that he had to become less so that Christ would become more, you know that I, I'm, par- I, you know he would yes. decre- he would decrease, he would decrease as the yes. Savior mm-hmm. would increase. So you have it from the high point of the summer. The sun light is declining until you reach to the solstice in December, and then Christ increases after that again. You know, the symbolism of it. It's a beautiful, you know, mm. corollary of it again. Yes. That you know, John said he must decrease and Jesus must increase, and it's beautifully mirrored in this rhythm of the church's year, following the calendar. Now, obviously, for our listeners, this is very much, I suppose, a northern hemisphere thing. Okay, you know, obviously, different calendar, different seasons in the south of the equator, but it doesn't take away from, I suppose, the beauty of it and the reminder to us that you know we're called to act and walk in the light. Um, you know, the winter solstice is a turning point in our planet's year. So the question is, is Advent and Christmas a turning point for us in the liturgical year? And we're called on, you know, to to react to it, to 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 reflect on it and, you know, to be charged and ready to change by the grandeur of God, as 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 one blog post had it once, you know, and it's a reminder to us as well. I suppose if anyone has ever been up um, early in the morning. You know, the darkest part of the night is actually just before, just the, before dawn. the dawn. Yeah. That's mm. when it is at its darkest. And, you know, it's a reminder to us, oh, thou, oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thy justice here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. That's the verse from the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm. You know, so, O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thy justice here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful reflection for us to think about. And, you know, in, in terms of in terms of the readings that are put with it for Lexio and, and, and that are, are suggested to mm-hmm. us, you know, again, it's Zachariah, it's Malachi, it's Luke. And of course, the famous verse from John as well. And I suppose it's just it's just a reminder to us, John, more than anything else, that you know there is there is reflection and space and time for us uh, in many places that we can look to. And you know, as we said, the O antiphons provide us with this simple kind of entryway into uh, carving out that space. You know, and even perhaps, you know, singing it to yourself, the verse from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, mm-hmm. you know, that would be, you know, a way to do it. So it's, as I said, O Orion is the, is, or O Day Spring is the one that's prayed on the December the 21st. And for me in particular, I think it's just, it's a beautiful one. And it's so evocative, particularly from an Irish point of view, because of Newgrange and something for us to think about and to reflect. So at this point, uh, just two questions. First of all, it's a universal prayer anyway. I mean, it's prayed no matter what hemisphere you're in. 
Oh God, yes, because it's it's following the liturgical season, so it's it's prayed it's prayed with the Magnificat. If you're in a if you're praying in the office, it's prayed with the Magnificat. Okay, for somebody just starting off, what, what would you suggest in terms of, of where to start, resources, and so on and so forth? Whether that be online or whether that be buying a book or whatever. You might well, there's two things. Um, I would say the first one is uh, the in terms of reflections. I suppose the Wellspring Daily Reflections. It's a website. Um, it is a UK website, as far as I can remember. It is wellsprings.org.uk, and if you search mm-hmm. within that for O Antiphons. So what they give is they give lovely um, uh, daily reflections and readings, nice short bite-sized people that, pieces, yeah. mm. uh, and and that that can be that that that's good a good introduction to it. This the Magnificent Advent Companion, which we mentioned last week mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Um, they have a nice piece in it this year where it's basically it's a small bit of a hymn, it's a ref- suggested readings or lexio, and then a short prayer. Uh, which is a good way possibly to do it. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's, but like I said, John, just Googling the O Antiphon online, you'll come up with lots of resources. And also, it's good to listen to it. Now, I know um, mm-hmm. we've, we've played short Gregorian chant mm-hmm. snippets, and people say, well, I don't understand Latin. But sometimes one of the beauties with Gregorian chant is not understanding it is not necessarily a burden to be able to listen to it, because it's been shown that Gregorian chant tunes into an inner rhythm of our lives okay. and of our bodies. So to listen to it is is almost enough, you know, to get into a space of meditation and 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 opening ourselves up to that divine encounter. Shane, thank you very much, Neil, for that. You've certainly uh, enlightened me uh, and maybe give me a bit of an appetite now to dip in and have a look. And Oh, sorry, John, I forgot one very obvious resource for people. Okay. Uh, so if okay. people, if people, if yeah. people, <laughs> John is John is laughing at me yeah. here <laughs> because we've been using this to help with yeah. podcasts. Uh, so the most obvious resource I should have mentioned is our old blog, Sacred Space 102 yes. at blogs, uh, blogspot.com. So if you go onto the old blog and you go down along the sides, there's what are called tags and uh, for different and labels, sorry, that were used in different pods in different uh, pod, uh, blog posts. Yes. And there's one of them called um, Advent O Antiphons, and it will bring you in directly to reflections and links and uh, small YouTubes that we had put up over the years in terms of the O Antiphons. Maybe so maybe in terms of starting off, that might be a good place to go. <laughs> maybe we could include a link for that on a yeah. post this week. Yeah, no problem. Shane, thanks a lot. So that about brings us to the, uh, to the end of your particular section. So we said, or you said, sorry, you wanted to have a beautiful piece of music, oh, come and come in, Manuel, and make it a little bit lively. So hopefully people like this. In the meantime, come back and join us again in part three, where we read and reflect on the Word of God. Captain Israel 
Welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shay. And in this part of our podcast, we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel, for this week, the second Sunday of Advent. Prior to that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So our prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, humbly and attentively. We will not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let our eyes be closed and our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, the second Sunday of Advent, is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. In due course, John the Baptist appeared. He preached in the wilderness of Judea, and this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. This was the man the prophet Isaiah spoke of when he said, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make his path straight. This man wore a a, a garment of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole Jordan district made their way to him, and as they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, they confessed their sins. But when he saw a number of Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers! Who warned you to fly from the retribution that is coming? But if you are repentant, produce the appropriate fruit. And do not presume to tell yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. Could I tell you, God can raise children for Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the roots of the tree, so that any tree which fails to produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who follows me is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn in a fire that will never go out. The Gospel for today, the second Sunday of Advent, from Matthew Shine. Thought? Yeah, so we continue on. 
uh, into Advent with Matthew accompanying us. And of course, today we are introduced to um, the next great uh, figure of the Advent season, of course, which is John the Baptist. Um, and we're kind of moving closer in time, if you like, to Christmas. Uh, last week it was very much it's slightly different. It was more the, 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 the eschatological end, the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. This one is more to do with Christ's public ministry and also his manifestation. And we are introduced to John the Baptist, of course, the herald, the great herald, the last bridge between the Old and the New Testament one of the last witnesses to the great waiting of Israel. So there was, you know, if you look at the, the opening section of, of Luke's gospel, you have the witnesses of the, of waiting, which is Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, John's parents, mm-hmm. uh, Mary in her own ex, you know, pregnancy, but also Simeon and Anna waiting in the temple. And that whole idea of fidelity in waiting, um, you know, that... Things didn't happen immediately and, you know, things happened in God's own time. Mm. And one of the things I suppose we, we have to remember, and it's a point that uh, Father Frank has made in next year over the last couple of weeks, is that there was almost 400 years of silence in terms of the prophets between the last and the coming of John the Baptist. You know, so for, for people that had been used to guidance from God through prophets, it was it was it was something they had lost. They had, they had lost their way on. And suddenly you had this wild man standing in in, mm. in, 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 in the desert, calling them to repentance. Now, the thing about it is, of course, prophets in this context isn't about someone that sees the future. That's that's not necessarily what it meant in in the context of the Old Testament, but rather it was those that were calling the community out to its proper calling as the chosen people, as the chosen of God, as the people of Yahweh. And I suppose that's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves when we're listening to this story. We kind of box John off, yeah. you know, as the wild man in the wild clothes with the wild hair, eating the yeah. wild food, and he's yeah. out in the desert. Yeah. And it's like, okay. But is he making us uncomfortable? You know, that's that's the role of a prophet is to challenge the status quo and to ask ourselves the question, have we become too comfortable? And there's a lot to be said that perhaps the Catholic Church has become too comfortable. We're not at the margins as such. We're not used to challenging the status quo because we are the status quo. Yep. You know, so there's there's something mm-hmm. to be said about that. And it's tiring. It's exhausting living on your nerves. Everyone knows that. Uh, but so maybe that's what the call is at the moment that we have to listen to. You know, we're being called. John called the people back to the wilderness, you know, called them out from the cities back to the desert. Mm. And it's very important to pay attention to that theme throughout the Gospels, because it is that reminder that Israel was formed in the desert. It is their formative experience that 40 years from Egypt to crossing the Jordan, yeah. that 40 years that they were taken aside and that it formed them as a people, as a community, as a belief, as a way of life, as a way of living. And that's that's an important thing that right down to the present day is is important. But if you think about it, you know, Jesus went to the desert as well for that period of formation. John is calling them back to the desert to that simpler way of life, that time of detachment from the busyness of the world. And it's that call to the desert which, you know, Advent puts before us. We hear it a lot more in, in Lent, but it's also put before us by John during the Advent season, that period where we're called back to retreat and prepare a way for the Lord. 
where we're called to repent and to you know, take a wilderness moment. Now, what does that mean, that wilderness moment? Sometimes wilderness is seen as barren and unproductive. But it's also, if you think about it, how many of you have driven the Wild Atlantic Way or walked the burn and taught that, you know, there is evidence of the work of the Lord? Mm. You know, so it's that kind of idea of the wilderness as a place aside, untamed, where we have to go back to the basics, you know, where you leave aside the busyness of life because you have to focus on the essentials. And focusing on the essentials, and one of the essentials is our relationship with God. You know, that idea that you're there without the the Netflix and the internet mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. probably the phone mightn't work. And that idea of taking time aside and turning off the radio and turning down the noise to be able to listen to the word of the spirit that's coming. You know, so when Jesus went into the desert, he was driven by the spirit and was listened to the spirit. John is answering, is the voice from the wilderness challenging the community. Yeah. And, you know, he's doing it in this in this hard way, like, you know, the dressed in unusual clothes but also challenging brood of vipers like that's not exactly um you know hi how are you no, <laughs> kind of no, a moment you know no. it's like you know where do you think you lot are going mm-hmm. you know it's 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 not letting them get away with it like and that reminder but also john very much knowing his place in the overall scheme of things i am not fit to carry his sandals that line from scripture, I am not fit to carry his sandals. Mm. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, water was one form of purification. Fire is seen as a greater form of purification, you know. And, and but it's, it's you know, John calling people to a moral conversion more than anything else. And that call still echoes down to each of us today. You know, and it's that whole, you know, the, the, the call is repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is close at hand. You know, Matthew, throughout the gospel of Matthew that we're going to have throughout the next couple of months, Matthew very much tries to bring in um, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Mm. So that's why throughout Matthew, you would have many references and cross references to the different prophets. And he, he is the one that ascribes to John the recognition that this is Elisha, Elisha that has returned. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make his paths straight. And, you know, that's that recognition that's given to us. So as we, you know, as we pause this Sunday, John, I suppose the question is, who are the prophets that are calling us to conversion in our own lives? Yeah. Be that individually or as a community? Because often the prophets spoke to the community. And then those moments of wilderness, finding those moments of wilderness, like going back to what we were saying in part two, when we were reflecting on some of the O antiphons, let them be your moments of wilderness throughout this Advent period, just for a quick few moments in the day, light a candle, pray them, reflect on them, make space for God. Shane, thanks for that. And certainly I think you're right, sir. It's not too comfortable, maybe, to listen to John the Baptist sometimes, but uh, like everything else, uh, they're, they're the most important um, people we can listen to in our lives. But I suppose the line, the line that stayed with me this week was um, that one, if you are repentant, produce the appropriate fruit. It just seemed to stick with me. And we often use this term, repent, when we speak of confession. We ask for forgiveness for our sins and say we're sorry and regret for what we've done. And after saying a few prayers that the priest gives us, we go away feeling, okay, I've done my duty type of thing. But in today's gospel, I heard the second part of that statement, if you repent and produce the appropriate fruit. And that's what spoke with me. 
So I had to reflect on what would the appropriate fruit look like to me. Well, to me, it's fairly obvious. I'd have to practice metanoia, that word that Shine is often used here. The, the term that we, we often use here in the podcast, to change my way of living, to avoid falling into sin, to have a change of heart where by taking more time to reflect on preparing to make my visits to confession maybe that little bit more uh, reflective. I'd hopefully become more aware of the times when I repeat sins and so help me to produce appropriate fruit. So by listening maybe to the, to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So maybe to finish this week, my own little thoughts, I'd like to, ref- to quote Father Frank Dewey, who says in his notes to us this week, he says, let's bear in mind that we have been baptised with the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget to turn to him. We need him this Advent. So with that, we'll go for our final piece of music. Thanks again, Shane, for, for sharing those thoughts with us on the O Entrance and sharing with us your thoughts on the Sunday Gospel. So with that, we'll go for our final piece of music. And Shane, the final piece of music you've chosen is There's a Voice Crying in the Wilderness. Yeah, so it's um, it's it's a it's a it's a hymn from a choir in St Peter's in the Loop, which mm-hmm. I think is in the US. I think, but anyway, it was it was a voice crying in the wilderness. I just thought it was an appropriate piece to go out, given that that is the gospel for this Sunday. Shane, thanks a lot indeed for that. Enjoy the week from myself and Shane. Speak to you again next week. God bless. Now, bye. Mm-hmm.